0: Matthew chapter 12. We've been working our way through the gospel of Matthew now. We've been gone for a couple of weeks, so we we come back. But we finished off in Matthew chapter 11, and I'd like to start with the last couple of verses of chapter 11. In verse 28 of uh, chapter 11, Jesus says, "'Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls.'" for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So when when Jesus says this and then this is written down it's important to understand that when Matthew and all of the Bible writers as they were writing, they, they weren't writing with chapters and verses. that was put in over a thousand years after the fact, so that I could say, "Turn to chapter twelve, and we would all turn to the same place." but it was just written, and then that was put in later now that's important because when you come to chapter twelve, Jesus has just said, "Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest, and uh, you know those of you who are burdened down by all of these things and and, um... And then uh, chapter 12 he says, so, so let me tell you what I mean. It's, it's, it becomes the illustration of what he's talking about and how some had taken what God had given as a blessing and turned it into a real burden. So we're going to talk about that today. We're only going to get to the first 14 verses as we, as we go. This is going to be kind of the introduction to the, the rest of the chapter. But in that day, in the time of Jesus one of the big questions was the question regarding the Sabbath. The Sabbath we would say Saturday, but it was the seventh day of the week, and uh, how do you keep that? When God's people came out of the land of Egypt, Moses was leading them, one of the first things that God does is He gives the Ten Commandments. And one of the commandments there on your outline, uh, I've, I've put it there, it says remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. In it, on it you should not do any work. And then it goes on. Now the, the part that they missed and, and many times the part that we miss is this was given to a group of people who had just come out of Egypt who had been slaves in Egypt for a couple of hundred years. Uh, they'd been in Egypt for 400 years but, but actually slaves for probably a couple of hundred years. Now if you were a slave in Egypt and you came out of Egypt, one of the things that you would know is that you in your entire life had never had a day off. Your parents had never had a day off. Your grandparents had never had a day off. So you come out and as you come out God says uh, here's what I want you to do. I want one day a week you are going to take a day off. And uh, you know, Six days you can labor but one day I want you to take off. Now if you had come out of Egypt and uh, you'd never had a day off you would look on and you'd say that's the most incredible thing. I've never had a day off. I don't know anybody who's ever had a day off. So you would receive that as an incredible blessing. It was it was given to be a blessing over time uh, it turned into a burden. You see over time uh, with some very good intentions they began to define what does it mean to not work on the Sabbath. Well, What it meant was stop going to work and earning money, trust the Lord that you can do that in six days if you need to. And God says I'm going to give you one day a week off. He actually said I want you to take one day a week off and later on he says and a bunch of holidays too. And I don't want you to work on those but I also, most important, one day a week you got to take the day off. So they began over time to define what it meant to work and not work on the Sabbath. And uh, so they came up with these elaborate um, interpretations of what it meant. For instance, it was forbidden they decided, and this is not what the Bible says, but they decided as they kind of looked at it, uh, it was forbidden to tie a knot on the Sabbath. But a woman could tie her girdle on the sabbath so you're not falling out all over the place and it says so so if you needed to pull water out of the well to have something to drink you couldn't use a rope because tying a rope would be considered work but you could use a woman could tie her girdle to the bucket and uh, you could pull out water that way so it, Something that God gave to be a blessing turned into a burden. And you had to know all of these rules. And it went on and on and on. I'm only sharing you one, uh, sharing with you, you one. So again, what God gave as a blessing over time became a burden. That's where we pick it up. Now it's chapter 12 is just the continuation of what Jesus says in uh, chapter 11. And so it's just the, here's the illustration. So verse one, it says, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And his disciples became hungry and they began to pick the the grains and eat. The heads of the grain and eat. But when the Pharisees saw this they said to him, look your, your disciples do what is not lawful on a Sabbath. Well, there's a couple of things as we unpack this. First of all, it was not unlawful to walk through somebody's grain field, and if you were hungry as you were walking through, you were allowed to pick grain and, and, and to eat that. God had set that up. There on your outline, that comes from the book of Deuteronomy, and God says, so uh, when you come into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the heads with your hand, but you shall not use a sickle on your neighbor's standing grain." So the idea is that you could walk through and you could pick and eat as you're traveling through if you got hungry but you couldn't bring a basket and bring it back home because that was his. But if you're walking through and you're hungry you could do that. So, And the farmers were told to make sure that you always leave a little bit behind so that those who needed some could come in and get some. So the Pharisees looked on and they said that was working on the Sabbath. You know, they're reaping as they take the, the grains from the stock and then they're threshing as they separate and as they eat and they'd say, you're preparing, preparing a meal. And so the Pharisees made keeping the Sabbath a lot of work. But the reality, it was no more work to walk through the grain field and pick something and eat as you went than it was to just simply eat at home. If you're eating at home, you'd be taking the food and putting it to your mouth. And, and so it was really no more work. So the disciples here are not breaking what we would call a biblical law. What they were breaking was what was called the oral tradition or the oral law. Now that's very different than biblical law. The biblical law would be this is what God said and the oral tradition was this is how we've interpreted it uh, with so many different ways with rules and regulations above it to make sure that you don't break this down here. And it lost what it was intended to become. At first it was given as a blessing. Now one of the things we're going to find as we travel through this gospel and all the gospels is that Jesus seems to take pleasure in, uh, in, in coming against man's legalistic view and sometimes he goes out of his way to do something that he knows is going to be offensive to them uh, in order to, to make a point. So we're going to see that. So What the Pharisees don't see as they're watching to see who's picking the grain and who's not, who's eating, as they're doing that, what they don't see is that's actually breaking their interpretation because to go out there and to be managing and looking to see that would be working. But sometimes when you go into hypocrisy you can see other people's stuff but you have a hard time seeing your own stuff. And we get that. So, So they don't see that at this point. So here's their mistake. And uh, write this down. The Pharisees place tradition on par with Scripture. But Jesus always points back to God's Word. So uh, I'm going to read verses 3 and 4. Uh, this, what the Pharisees were pointing to was not actually a biblical thing, it was their interpretation, their oral law. And I love how Jesus responds to them. He says, but He said to them, and you might want to underline this, have um, have you not read? What I love about that is Jesus here, your Savior, is using some good sarcasm. Uh, he's going to people who are the teachers of the law. They've read it. They've memorized it. But he he he's kind of uh, sticking it to them a little bit when he says, you know, Maybe you missed it, but have you not read? So he goes on, he says, have you not read what David did when he became hungry, he and his companions, how he entered the house of God and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, uh, nor for those who were with him, but for the priests alone. So uh, again, Jesus begins this by saying, you know, "Did, did you guys not read this? And this would be offensive to these Pharisees as they pointed to their tradition. Now, also very interesting, at least to me, uh, nine times in this gospel when Jesus is confronting the Pharisees, he's going to say, you know, did, did you guys not read? And uh, so he, he loves to do that. And I, I appreciate that about Jesus, that he uses some good sarcasm. Do you appreciate? You bet, you bet. Uh, so so he tells the story, something that they're very familiar with. Now David is the king way back when. He's been appointed by God as the king but the other king is still on the throne who's been dethroned by God but he's still on the, king, uh, on the throne and his name is Saul. So there's a much bigger story than we can go into today but here, here's what Jesus is referring to. I put it on your outline. David answered Ahimelech the priest he says, now then what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. You know, they're starving. And the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here. And and so what Jesus is pointing out is you could say that Jesus was uh, that David was breaking the law by taking the bread that was consecrated for the priest. They'd lay out the bread and then on the Sabbath and that would be replaced. And so but that was only to go to the priest. But as you read the story God never condemns David for taking the bread. God never condemns the priest for giving the bread. And so here's what Jesus is alluding to here, and you want to write this down. God's heart is that human need takes precedence over religious rules. There was a need. And yes, they had a rule, but the men were starving. And so what we see here is human need takes precedence. So sadly, the Pharisees, they held Religious rules over human need. So, we verse five. It says it goes on. Jesus once again said, "Or have you not read?" Once again, uh, offending them at this point in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent. Um, again, haven't you read? Jesus points back to the word. You know, if you were a priest in the temple in those days if you worked on the Sabbath, not only did you have to keep doing all the work that you would normally had to do, but on the Sabbath day, the priest had to do twice as much work. Uh, there in your outline, that comes from numbers. It just says, then on the Sabbath day, two male lambs, one, one year old without defect, two tenths of an ephah, fine flour mixed with oil and a grain offering, and its drink offering. The drink offering was actually wine or a strong drink, something stronger. And it, it did contain alcohol. I know that's it. Some of you are shocked to find that, but it did, and it was an offering in worship to the Lord. So, uh, we're still going to use grape juice in communion, but but uh, there you have it. I did my best, but I got overwhelmed. <laughs> this is the burnt offering of every Sabbath, in addition, in addition to the continual burnt offering and its drink offering. So the priests work, and they're innocent. You know, nobody says anything about them. So so you're you're kind of picking and choosing and pointing at something. At this point the Pharisees begin to have a very difficult time responding to Jesus when, when he says this. They have nothing to say. So then Jesus, since they don't respond, Jesus says, so those priests at the temple. Well, verse 6 he carries on he says, "You know the, the priests in the temple, verse 6 he says, but I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. And we'll come back to that. But If you had known what this means, and he quotes from Hosea, I desire compassion and not a sacrifice. You would have not condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. You might want to underline that verse 8. We'll come back to that. So verse 7, he says, you know, if you would have known what this means, you would not be condemning. Uh, He quotes from Hosea, and Hosea, put it there in your outline, God says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. However, the Pharisees, and you want to write this down, valued religious rules over mercy. Is that how it says it on the outline? They valued religious rules over mercy. Which is very different than God or Jesus, but (laughs) God values mercy over religious rules. And they had reversed that. So they were no longer representing the Lord. So Jesus says, my disciples are innocent. You should be giving them some mercy, not criticism. And then verse 6 I love that Jesus says as he's talking to them, he says but I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. And then he goes to verse 8 and he says for the Son of Man, referring to himself, is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, they're not going to miss what Jesus has just said. You want to write this down. Jesus has just told them that he is God. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. And because he is God and he is the Lord of the Sabbath, because he is the one who has created the Sabbath, he's the one who gets to interpret what it means, what you can do or not do on the Sabbath. Again, this is getting the Pharisees all worked up, but they really don't know what to say. So here the Pharisees missed it, and and they put rules over human need, and it's just the opposite. So they put sacrifice over mercy, but it was just the opposite. The Pharisees missed it in that day, and uh, the Sabbath was given to a people who had never had a day off, and it was given to be a blessing. They had taken what God had given as a blessing, and they had turned it into a burden. And religious people have been doing that for thousands of years. All of us, if you come from a church background, we all come from different church backgrounds and and sometimes it's easier to look at somebody else's background than our own background. For instance in my background I think we would say that salvation this relationship that we have with Jesus is something that was given to be a blessing. Would you agree with that? But if you come from the background that I come from, you know, it, it, we would say it's a blessing. But here's how you live it out. First of all, there was no card playing, there was no movies, there was no contemporary secular music. Uh, you know, and the, the list went on. No, 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 no dancing, and uh, and then later on, women couldn't wear makeup, and it just and it went on. And and basically, what was given as a blessing turned into a great burden, trying to keep it and you were evaluated by your outward observance of things that the Bible doesn't really talk about. Now the Bible talks about being appropriate, but it doesn't give a a great list of things that you need to do and and not do in order to be spiritual. How many of you come from that background? Now some of us come from another background where some things were given as a blessing, but sadly they were turned into a punishment or a burden. There on your outline um, it says... um, In Luke's gospel it says one of his disciples said to him Lord teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. So the disciples are asking for help. Teach us to pray. So as a blessing, as a help, Jesus says he said to them when you pray say Father hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Now many of us know that as the Lord's Prayer. Some of us come from a tradition where we would call that the Our Father. It was given as a blessing in response to a question, teach us. Sadly for some it was turned into a punishment or a burden. You do something wrong and now you take this and you say it X amount of times in order to make what you did right. Anybody come from a tradition like that? And so sadly, uh, taking what was given as a blessing and turning it into a burden. We can all point to somebody else's tradition, but we all have it in, a, in, in each of our traditions. So go ahead and write this down. Religious people turn what was given as a blessing into a burden. And so we see that. And so we always want to evaluate to make sure that we don't take some things that God has given as a blessing and then turn that into a burden for people. Well, the story continues. And in verse 9 it says departing from there he went into their synagogue. And I've underlined the word their synagogue. This is going to be the same day Uh, they they go from the field into the synagogue. And verse 10 it says, and there was a man whose hand was withered. My translation says withered, uh, whatever your translation says you can underline that. And they questioned Jesus asking is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. And I've underlined the word accuse. That's their motivation for being there. So uh, I don't know if Matthew intended to, to do this, uh, but I find it interesting in all of our Bibles. It says their synagogue. You know, the, the synagogue is all about worshiping God, but here's God, and he seems to not have a whole lot to do with it at this point. And it says that there in, in this synagogue there is a man with a withered hand. Some of your Bibles will say shriveled, shriveled or withered. The word there is zaros, from where we get the word xeroscape. If you've ever seen the type of landscaping that uses very very little water, uh, lots of rocks and cactus and things like that, xeroscape, that's where that word comes from. So the word there on your outline, withered zaros, through the idea of scorching, arid by implication, shrunken earth as opposed to water. Now it's also important here to understand that the, the Pharisees, they've studied Jesus' life and what he's been doing and they know that he has a hard time in the presence of somebody who has a need uh, of not meeting that need. If, if he's in the presence of somebody who has a need, he wants to meet that need. So if he has the opportunity to heal somebody, he's going to take it. What's also interesting to me is they know he can heal. They know that he can do that. And, uh, but it never occurs to them when they see that he can heal and they know he's probably going to heal to come to the conclusion and say, you're probably the Messiah. You're probably the Messiah. Uh, if I were Jesus, and this is why I can't be Jesus, uh, when they said, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, I would have responded by saying something like, I don't know. Um, who is it that you have ever healed ever you know and to which they'd say nobody well so uh, you know so they don't they, they miss that so is it lawful to heal now in their minds in their minds this man had had this condition for quite some time it was not a life threatening condition so they would say it's not life threatening so heal him on another day just not on this day because you're not supposed to work on the sabbath so Matthew at this point uh, leaves out a detail that Mark when he's writing, he adds the detail. So they ask this question and they say, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath in in order that they might accuse him? Jesus turns to him and in Mark's gospel he asks them a question. We might say he takes the question one step deeper or or, or a greater question. It says, then Jesus asked them, I'll, I'll answer your question with a question, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save a life or to kill? And uh, I want you to notice but they remained silent. They don't really have something that they can say at this point. Uh, They want to accuse but they really don't have a good answer. So, I think Jesus pauses for a moment and and, uh, lets that just kind of hang out there. And then as if to say, you don't have anything to say. So verse 11, he says, and he said to them, what man is there among you who has a sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? So then it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. In their minds, sheep represented income. It represented meat. It represented wool. And the idea is if it was going to cost you financially, you'd get the sheep out of the pit on a Sabbath and you wouldn't think twice. But in this situation, because this man's condition isn't costing you personally, you really don't care. And so he's highlighting their their hypocrisy. So it's here as he says this, and again, they have nothing to say. Mark adds a detail, and Mark says he looked around at them. and I, I can just see him looking around at all the Pharisees and probably making eye contact, and, and uh, he looked around at them, and I, I just want to, to highlight, it says, in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts and said to the man, stretch out your hand. In the Gospels, the only time that Jesus gets angry is at religious people, people who are heaping it on other people. Those who are struggling, uh, not a problem. But those who are heaping it on other people, critical of other people, that's who he gets angry at. And and he reveals here that their, their problem is a problem in their heart. Back to Matthew. Now when Matthew says it, verse 13, it says then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out. And it was restored to normal like the other. Normal like the other. Um, Keep in mind, we're going to talk about this in, in a couple of minutes, but Jesus has just told them, same morning, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. He's declared, I'm God. And here in the place of worship, he's just told a man, stretch out your hand. And this man's hand was healed just like the other. Now keep that in mind, and uh, we'll come back to that. But as a side note here, one thing I just wanted to say, we're not going to spend a lot of time on it, but go ahead and write this down. When Jesus gives the command to do something, he always gives the ability. Jesus will never ask us to do something that he doesn't give us the ability to do. So that's probably, when he gives the command to do something, he always gives us the ability. Probably a a whole teaching there, but but, uh, we're going to move on. So Jesus says, stretch out your hand, and it was healed just like the other. And there's something in this that causes the Pharisees to respond in a certain way. Verse 14, notice how they respond. But the Pharisees went out and conspired together against him, my translation says, as to how they might destroy him. Uh, how many of your Bibles say kill him? Yeah, that's what they, they want to kill him. So something's happened here in this little interchange. The Pharisees love to debate and typically when you drew a different conclusion you, you might argue the point but you didn't just go out and conspire to kill somebody. But there's something that Jesus has done in this that has made them so mad now they want to kill him. And it's something that, because we come from predominantly Gentile stock 2,000 years later on the other side of the planet, we miss. But this was first century Jewish people, and uh, so something's happened here that would remind them of something. Now remember that Jesus has just told them that he's greater than the temple, he's the Lord of the Sabbath, and he's just told this man to stretch out your hand. So he does something uh, that only God can do, but it would remind them of something. All the way back in the book of Exodus there was the story when God wanted to bring his people out of Egypt. The story begins by God encountering Moses, or Moses encountering God. And uh, you can read the story later, but part of that story, now in their minds Moses was as great of a man that you could ever be. They, they venerated this man, they, they elevated him, and so, they, so as, he was as great as great could be. But as the story begins, there in your outline, it's God's calling Moses. God does something. It says, Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak. And when he took it out, it was leprous like snow. We might say dried up. Now put it back in your cloak. And he said, put it back in your cloak he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak and when he took it out it was restored like the rest of of his flesh, or like the other hand we might say. So Jesus has just said, I'm God, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, and I've just done something that you remember in the past that only God can do. Well, they didn't like Jesus as God, and so that makes them so angry they want to go out and kill him. Now, um, he does what only God can do. This becomes the setup for the rest of the chapter. I do want to talk about something else but uh, next week we're going to talk about some other things and this sets that up. So if you look down at verse 31 uh, for next week it says, he who is not with me is against uh, verse 31, therefore I say to you that any sin sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people but blasphemy against the Holy Spirit shall not be forgiven. So uh, we'll talk about that next week so show up next week to see if you did that. you didn't we'll show up next week, but i I, I did want to talk about something in in this today something that um, hopefully hits you the way that it, that it, it hits me and i I'm, I'm not really good as far as articulating this but i I'm, I'm going to give it a try. I noticed something as I go through we notice as we travel through the gospels that that um, everywhere Jesus goes he is always in the place of worship. you know. So many of the stories in the Gospels take place in the synagogues. That's the place of worship. They say synagogue there, we'd say church today. And so Jesus is always there. Now I want to make a a couple of observations. First of all, go ahead and write this down. Jesus is always at, at the place of worship, but as he goes there's nothing new for him to learn. Do you agree with that? Uh, Jesus is God so it's not like he ever walks out of the synagogue and says that was an incredible insight. Where did that guy come up with that? You know, it's, it's, he never has that experience. So he, he doesn't go to synagogue to learn anything new and I also notice that when he goes to the synagogue, in every synagogue you know, he's down in Jerusalem, he's up in the north, wherever it is, uh, he's constantly bombarded with accusations. I mean, how many times have we seen Jesus, he goes to the synagogue and it's nothing but a fight, it's nothing but accusation. Uh, even when he goes to Nazareth, and as, as it begins, he goes to Nazareth and he opens the scroll, he reads from Isaiah and everybody's going, oh Jesus, he's a nice boy. At the end of the service they literally drag him to the end of town and try to throw him off a cliff. That's not a good service, you know, that, that's not a good thing. But this kind of thing happens all the time when, when Jesus goes, goes to worship. So I would say, as I observe uh, that, and, and tell me if this makes sense and, and write this down, but Jesus went to worship even though he had good reason not to go. Uh, every time you go, you, know, you don't learn anything. Every time you go, uh, they want to throw you off a cliff, they want to throw you out, they want to kill you. Uh, In this service, they wanted to kill him. So you know, there is good reason to say, you know, I'm I'm done with going because you know every time I go, they're critical, they're hypocritical, they're jerks. You know, whatever you you want to say, I'm done. So that 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 hits me because I I come to the place where I realize that apparently his motivation to go to worship wasn't so that he could personally get something. Uh, He's not going to learn anything. So apparently he goes to worship, and I want you to write this down, to be a blessing to others. See, every time Jesus goes to the place of worship, it's to be a blessing to somebody else. So here in this story, we have the man who has the issue with the hand. Another time he goes to the place of worship, and there's a lady who's been bent over for many years. And so Jesus is going, and he's always going so that he can be a blessing to somebody else. But it's not so that he can personally receive something. And, and as I thought through this, I, it, it caused me to say that, that many of us here today have come to the place where we view worship the same way that, that Jesus does. You know, when, when you, you, you come to worship because you want to be a blessing to somebody else, you've been coming to Calvary for some time. Um, You've heard all three of my illustrations more than one time. Uh, some of you have been here for so long that when you get the outline, you immediately fill it out before I even start. You know, it's, it's like, you know, w- when I taught through Mark, I would say Matthew adds, and, uh, and then I come to Matthew and I go, Mark adds, you know, and you go, okay, I'm just filling out the outline. I've already, I've already heard that. But each week you show up, and each week you show up early, you begin to set up very early. You begin to put the coffee on, set out the donuts, move the tables, put the cones out, set up for the parking. You, you, you show up to, to speak into the lives of children. You come here and you, you serve in a way that you, you're an usher or a greeter and you create an environment that, that people can bring their friends. And you've come to the place where you've decided that you go to worship so that you can be a blessing to others. And um, it's not like you haven't experienced the Pharisees because they're there. They're everywhere. If you notice that no matter where Jesus goes to synagogue, to worship, there's always the Pharisees. They're always there no matter where he goes. But you've come to the place where you've said, I'm going because I'm going to be a blessing to other people and I'm going to allow God to use me in that way. And so what I, what I wanted to say just very quickly, and again I'm really bad with words on this, but i wanted to say as your pastor i'm very blessed that you have that heart that you come so that you can be a blessing to other people your church is blessed that when you come to church that it's to be a blessing see when when you come to church and you do that you allow somebody to come in who has their own withered hand situation to be ministered to by the word of god and the spirit of god and you come to be a blessing So I want you to know that as your pastor, I'm blessed that you call Calvary your church home. And uh, I know your sacrifice, your church is blessed. But even more important than that, because really who cares what I think, but more important than that, the Lord is blessed that you've grown to the place where you come to worship so that you can be like Jesus as a blessing to others. And I love it when you walk out and you gain something. But more important, I love it that you come because you're going to be, a blessing to somebody else and that's a sign of some real maturity. So I'm blessed about that. That's the first thing that I'd want to say. But then I wanted to just take a moment and talk about this man who is in the service and he has this withered hand situation. Now we don't know how long he has had this situation. I don't, apparently it's not since last week. Apparently it's a long-standing situation. And what we notice about him, and you want to write this down, is even though he has this situation and nothing's really happened, um, what we notice is he hasn't given up on God. Write that down. This apparently, again, is not a new condition in his life. And um, I would say, and I think we would all agree, that this is not how he dreamed that his life would turn out. And he's there in the place of worship. And so, and, and for whatever reason, whether this has been years uh, ongoing, he's still there. He's still there. And I, I think that he's still there because he's come to the realization that God brings us all to. And you want to write this down. Apparently, he realized that this isn't heaven. You know, for, for so many people, they, they don't get that. For for them, as long as God's making it heaven on earth, they're in. But as soon as there's difficulty, as soon as it's not working out the way that they wanted, uh, they're gone. And for this man, I noticed that he has this condition. And it's not what he always dreamed, and he wished it would go away, but it's still there, but he hasn't given up on God. And I, I believe that he's there, with this condition and he's looking forward to the day when he goes to heaven where these things don't take place. See Jesus said in the world you have tribulation. You and I are going to go through the stuff of life and sometimes it's fixed this side of eternity and sometimes it's fixed on the other side. But for whatever reason this man is in the place of worship even though it hasn't worked out up to this point. Does this make sense? I think it's also uh, important to highlight, if I can, and write this down. Uh, it's embarrassing when everyone knows your stuff. Now, I use the word stuff. I toyed with the word problem, situation, issues. Uh, for this man, you know, for some of us, we can hide our stuff. We can hide our problems. We can hide our, you know, our issues. But this man can't hide it. And so every week when he goes to church, they know, oh, you're the guy with the hand situation. And everybody sees that. And, and, and I think that's embarrassing because it, it, it's embarrassing in the sense because in that community they'd be saying, well, why hasn't God done something for you yet? I mean, what's, what's the problem? And I couldn't help think, you know, every, everybody sees and everybody knows but but in our church, you know, may, maybe it's not the issue with the hand, but we have our issue that everybody sees. You know, maybe you're the person that that went through the divorce, and you know, this isn't how you planned it. It's not like you stayed at the altar or stood at the altar and said, in seven years or whatever, I'm gonna, you know, this is gonna all go away. You, you didn't look for this, but this this is your withered hand situation. Um, maybe maybe it's an illness. And, uh, you know, you, you didn't plan on this, but it's there and it's not going away. And you've encountered some Pharisees and they've said things like, well, you know, if you had a little faith, is there sin in your life? And, and, and you're saying, no, I'm just, you know, it's just there. And, it, and it's embarrassing. Maybe it's, it's a situation with addiction. And uh, people are saying, you know, by now you should be on top of this. What I've learned in 20 years of being a pastor is that there are some people who love Jesus passionately, but they still struggle greatly. And and we wish, and they wish it wasn't a struggle. For them, it becomes that withered hand situation, and everybody knows. And I want you to know whatever your situation is, whether everybody knows or they don't know, I'm glad you're here. This is a good place to be. And I hope on some day of worship that God touches you in such a way that that problem goes away. That's going to be great. But I appreciate the fact that for some of us and many of us, we still have that withered hand situation, but we're still here. We're still here. And we've come to the place where we've said, God, if you don't work it out this side of heaven, I'm still in and I'm looking forward to when I'm there and these things don't happen. Does that make sense? So whether you're here today, and by the way, let me just add one other thing. In that community, if you had an issue, everybody thought it was due to sin. Uh, there in your outline, the question, you remember the disciples asked Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? And, and uh, they looked on at people who had their situation and they, they thought something has to be wrong. Maybe that's not the case. So for those who have grown beyond and you say, I'm at worship, whether I get something out of it or I don't, I'm at worship so that I can be a blessing to somebody else. I'm blessed that you're here, and the Lord is blessed that you've come to that place where you serve him in that way. And for those of us who are here today and say, well, I'm the person with the withered hand, and everybody knows my stuff, I'm glad you're here too. This is a good place to be. And you keep coming, and uh, we keep trusting that one day, soon, prayerfully, God will touch and answer that prayer. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and close in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we wrapped this up today. Lord, we want to be a church that looks to your word as you pointed to your word so that we can see how we should live before you. Lord, one of the things that we see is has a whole lot more to do with what's going on on the inside than what's going on on the outside. And and Lord, we want to be those who like you, even though we encounter the Pharisees and all the things that goes on, but we, we want to be those who come to the place of worship like you to be a blessing to somebody else. And it's great when we receive, and it's great when we learn, and we want that. But we want to be those who are here so others can be blessed. Father, many of us are here today with our own withered hand situation. It wasn't what we planned. It wasn't what we dreamed. And it hasn't turned out the way that we'd always hoped. But here we are. We're not giving up. and We're here. And we look forward to the day that we are in heaven, realizing that this isn't heaven. And it, as we face our situation and maybe another Time, there's that flare up, that failure, whatever happens, Lord, we want to be here with you. And Father, I pray that you minister to each and every one of us where we are. You know our stuff. And as you continue to give us grace and you're empowering to be here, help us to live out all that you have for us. I pray that we as a church, individually and collectively, would live in such a way that we honor you in all things. I pray, God, that you keep us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Hey, we love you. God bless you. We'll see you next time.